0: Welcome to Curious and Candid: Conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Kate Kettlecamp. Kate, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You're you're very welcome, Kate. So
0: uh, we're going to work our way through uh, what I like to call the conversational starter questions, Kate. Uh, these are four questions I like to ask all of the guests just to kind of keep the continuity of each conversation. So the first question uh, I would like to ask you is how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on
1: most uh, mornings and on most days? Yeah, that's a great question. I am more of a choose your own adventure morning person, but I would say that one of the first things I always do when I wake up is try to recall my dreams. And sometimes I can, sometimes I can't, but I'm always looking for images, themes, different ideas that maybe came through throughout the night and, um, just reflecting on those things. And then that leads to some life reflection. So I'm a big thinker in the morning and I used to be a meditator, but, uh, I've tried to reserve meditating for different spaces and kind of use that morning time as a little bit of a think tank and then uh obviously can't think the whole morning so i usually try to hit the gym after that so little dream analysis and then some gym action that's usually how my morning goes
0: okay now we're going to get obviously into kind of like uh, you being an astrologer and all that once we get into your story a little bit later but um in terms of so like i've been podcasting uh be 5 years uh Uh, this month, actually. Okay. Obviously this one's a newer podcast. I've had a couple others. Um, I've never had anybody in five years of podcasting, uh, you know, start their day that I can recall with dream recall, like you just mentioned. So can you kind of share with myself and all the listeners, uh, Kate, why uh, is dream recall or trying to recall your dream so important for you? Um, and why is it important for you to kind of like hit that, uh, nail on the head, so to speak right away in the morning?
1: Yeah, I have never been one to have overly vivid dreams. I know some people are really engaged in the dream world, but for me, it's been more of a recent thing that I've had to work to cultivate over the last few years of that dream recall. And the importance for me comes in the relationship to the subconscious. And I think there's a, a liminal space when you first wake up where you're transitioning from, from one world to the next. And I used to kind of just fly through that transition. And lately I've been taking more pause of what was going on. Like what, what's what been going on the last eight hours in my mind and my psyche since I've been asleep and, I am of the belief that the subconscious can't speak through words um, and can only speak through images. And the dream world is a place where the subconscious can use images to try to communicate with the conscious mind. So I always just try to take stock of if my subconscious has certain themes, certain images, uh, certain emotions that maybe are wanting to be communicated and just kind of reflect on that. Okay.
0: All right. Now with the dream recall, uh, do you um, just think about the dreams or try to remember them when you wake up? Do you you incorporate writing? And then what was the impetus, Kate, uh, for you to kind of start focusing on this dream recall? Did you, was it because of like a class you took, a a book you read? How did that kind of come into your conscious, uh, so to speak?
1: Yeah, it was, the impetus was a class. I took a class on union dream work and that's where I learned some techniques of dream interpretation and the, the writing aspect. When I was in that class, I kept a very solid dream journal, which I do think helps with dream recall. One trick we learned in that class was to, right before you go to sleep, say, I will remember my dreams the next morning. And that kind of puts it into your subconscious to wake up and remember the dreams. It's a little bit of programming. But after I started doing that, uh, my brain just kind of kept doing it. And now I don't journal as much. Uh, I'd like to get back into the more of the writing down because I do think that's where it can get really potent, but I just reflect when I wake up and kind of pick some key things that stood out. Um, If there's like any sort of disturbing emotion, disturbing feeling, that's what my brain goes to first of, you know, maybe there's something that's not working in my life that needs some resolution. And doing that dream work actually has helped me have a lot of momentum in my growth and in general, like just feeling like a sense of greater connection to myself, uh, I I think that doing that dream work gets to deeper layers and levels to the self, in this in a similar way to other practices. Uh, but the dreams, the dreams is fun because you're working with images, and it is something that it you know, it does take some practice to cultivate. I always encourage people. They're like, Oh, well, I never remember my dreams. I'm like, you can train yourself to, to remember them. Very cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do you Kate have a
0: favorite book kind of like all time, or is there a book that you like to gift often? And then if you are a consumer of podcasts, you kind of have a favorite or go to podcast.
1: Yeah. Uh, I like that question of the book to gift often. I, I, the, my most gifted book has been The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, but I stopped gifting it because I think that I had this turn where I realized that books like that, I think, come to people when they're ready for them, and... I had gifted it to people that I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that I have that intel on their life at this point to know if that's what they want or need right now. And so that's an interesting question. And I think that that is an interesting thing about gifting books. But one thing someone said to me the other day is, sometimes you get the book and you have to do it in an egoless way of like, maybe it will sit on their shelf for 20 years. And it doesn't mean that they didn't appreciate the gift or the fact that it had impacted you in some way, but books come to people at the right time. And so I think that's kind of a, a fun question about gifting books. And my all time favorite book is actually a uh, man search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I just love the the depth and the insight and the reality of that book of the lived experience of, of Viktor Frankl. And that book uh, I read when I was a teenager and really impacted me. And I think that that's impacted and shaped my journey in a lot of ways of this, this search for meaning. And, uh, like I think I mentioned, I'm in a PhD program currently and, philosophy cosmology and consciousness studies and it's hard not to attribute some of that journey to just an early search for meaning and that book was just such a transformational book Hmm. for me uh do, do you listen to podcasts or not yeah i do i listen to a lot of content um big content consumer I really, as an astrologer, I love the astrology podcast, uh, which is ran by Chris Brennan. He's a Denver guy and that's excellent work. Any sort of astrology podcast, I am always consuming astrology content. Awesome. Okay. Now, uh, the next question, what life
0: lesson have you been taught or learned in the last year? And I have just last year because, uh, I would prefer that it's something kind of like within recent times, as opposed to like 10 years ago. Right. So um, if yeah. it was six months ago, two years ago, that's fine. But just within recent times, what's something uh, you feel like uh, you've learned in terms of a life lesson or you've been taught, Kate?
1: Yeah, I mean, we could even go this month. This month, I picked up a book called When the Past is Present by David Rico. And it's all about transference, which I had an awareness of before of you know maybe there's some things we project onto the people in our lives stuff from our childhoods things that we grew up with and then we can recreate that reality with other people in some sense and that can be what leads to relationship conflicts of you know you had a certain relationship to your dad growing up and then you perceive those things to be true about your friend or your partner And reading that book was pretty illuminating for me in the sense that I realized that most of relationships have that element of transparency of so much of what you're seeing in other people like is from your own experience. And, you know, the, the classic quote of, you know, you don't see things as they are, you see things as you are, Mm -hmm. I think. I've been learning the, the reality of that, of there's just so much that has to do with your own perception, your own experiences, which I feel is an even greater impetus to healing of if you heal your perspective, it can only positively impact and benefit the relationships in your life.
0: Mm, Yes.
1: Uh, that, that, that's, that's,
0: um, some powerful, uh, content or, uh, information to consume and, and to grasp. Uh because yeah, I, I'm kind of going through a little bit of that myself. So I, I love that. Now um the wrap up kind of the uh conversational starter questions, Kate, uh do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? And if you have all three or two or multiples, you you share as many as you'd like. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh my favorite quote, I think, is by Carl Jung. Mm-hmm. He said Let me get it for you. He yeah. said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it faith. Mm. And that's a quote that I like to tell my clients in astrology readings, because there's always this question that comes up right about free will and determinism. And just that, interplay that we all kind of deal with mentally of you know what do I have power over in my life and I think one of my main motivations for doing the work that I do is empowerment mm-hmm. and there is that line to walk of like if you feel that your life is planned out in some way is fated to you in some way it can be really demotivating And I like the quote by Jung because, you know, he's saying that whatever, whatever we don't have awareness of, that's what really directs our life. That's what really turns into our fate. And when we're doing that deep reflection and inner work and having awareness, that's where we get our level of choice. And that's what can free us as humans and liberate us to live more consciously creative lives is knowing what we're working with and how we can alchemize or transform or transmute things for our benefit and others' benefit.
0: Uh, do you have a favorite word? Do you have a word that's kind of like uh, something that you hang on to or hold on to daily or uh, or not necessarily?
1: Oh, a favorite word. You know, it's funny. I, one of my favorite words is candid. Hmm. Always love the word candid. Perfect. And it's something that if I, if I notice a candidness in someone, I I will say to them also, like, I appreciate your, you being candid. And I think that that is such a fun word. And it's a word that I think speaks to the heart of maybe what we're missing right now in some ways. I think humor is very candid in a lot of ways. And that's like a good release for people to be able to go see a community or a comedian and and experience some of that candidness. And I think that, you know, when we're scared, we're less candid. When our nervous systems are shut down, we don't feel like we can be candid and there's something like so wonderful about getting to be yourself in the world and be candid. And I always hope to create spaces for people where they can be candid and I can be candid. Mm. So yeah, candid.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's great. Now let's pull back a layer here with, with the word candid because um, I feel like we're living in a very uh, uh, in a culture specifically here in the United States. I can't speak to anywhere else because I'm here in the States and uh, that's that but i feel like in, in our culture nowadays is like if you are a, a a candid person if you are a straightforward person if you are somebody who speaks your 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 mind unapoli- unapologetically uh that uh you you might get uh, a little if not a lot of hate or or pushback right that's that's my perspective and i i feel correct me if i'm wrong if you feel differently but i feel like that's kind of where we're at in our culture and if you do try to step into yourself and step into vulnerability and just say, Hey, to the world, like, this is me. Like, man, like I think there's a lot of fear uh, that people are trying to invoke in, in a lot of us. And, and, and that, that holds us back. Fear is something that holds us back. It prevents us from being candid and vulnerable and all the things. So um What's your perspective or take on kind of like where we're at as a society in regards to somebody wanting to be candid, somebody wanting to be vulnerable, somebody wanting to step up and step out and and be themselves? And and how do you kind of maybe work with some of your clients in terms of working through the fear that might be there, which we all have fear, but I feel like we're living in in a time where that fear is kind of being pushed on us even at a a greater uh, level or degree, Kate.
1: Definitely. I, I really resonate with that question. And it makes me think of uh Brit British people, uh, honestly, like that's the first thought that comes to mind. And I spent a little bit of time abroad in England. And one of the things I remember picking up was their love of debate and their debate culture. And I know that that's something that has been studied and compared to americans ability to debate and have that uh open discussion around uh, specifically sensitive and hot topics and there there's so much sensitivity that i perceive in this country and i think that people are taught from a young age to to cling to ego here and like specifically in those conversations and you know identity politics and like the your beliefs in this country and maybe because it was founded on some religious freedom and whatnot but and beliefs being such a structure of the environment that we have all been cultured into beliefs seem to be part of identity for a lot of people and when someone insults a belief they're insulting the person uh, and there's not as much separation for people and what they're saying and what they're putting out there, uh, from their identity. And so if someone is critiquing what you're saying, it can easily turn into a personal critique. And that's something that like, I definitely have felt myself and have still am working to, to overcome some of those like offenses of, you know, you don't, you don't agree with me. Something's wrong with me. I'm bad. And I think that really it's a tendency towards shame in this country. And, you know, maybe it's some of that puritanical guilt, but I do see a tendency towards shame um, and that being something that does get triggered by having candid conversations. And one of the things that I hope to, to show people through astrology is that there is so much of our life that is separated from our personal decisions in that same conversation about empowerment of, you know, where did you come from? What did your parents teach you? Where did you go to college? And how did that impact your beliefs? Who did you meet along the way? And really creating a space for people to reflect on everything that shaped their specific journey. I think that that creates awareness of how unique everyone's journey is and can also leave room for more compassion for other people that have had different journeys. If you are very aware of your own beliefs and where you got them, how they've been shaped, how they've been cultivated – I think that it's hard to really look at someone who has had completely different life experiences than you and tell them that they're wrong or that they're bad or shame them in some way for what they're candidly speaking to you. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is something that comes with self-awareness also the more self-aware we are, the more other aware that we are. I think it gives a lot more room for people to be themselves and feel safe being themselves.
0: Mm. Yes. Um, Talk to me
1: about what you said in terms of, you said
0: uh, uh, people uh, cling to to ego. Um, I'm fascinated by ego because uh, I'll kind of just put it this way. Like for myself, I feel like I've over the last year have had to go through like an ego detox, so Mm. to speak, Uh, because I've just recognized as I've learned and 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 listened to others and had candid conversations, specifically through podcasting. It's like, man, like I've been a very egotistical uh individual for a lot of my life. And it's something that I can't stand in others. And I've gotta I've got to really uh focus and be intentional about letting go of my ego so that I can be more compassionate. I can have uh love for others and I can be quiet and listen to others even if I know I don't agree with anything that they're saying. I, I want to step into their life. I want to listen to them. I want to, I want to give them that platform, right? Because we all deserve to be heard as human beings. Um, so with that being said, talk to me a little bit about your understanding of clinging to ego, letting go of ego. What is, what is ego? Like whatever you kind of know or want to share. Uh, I'm, I'd, I'd love to hear about that, Kate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about the ego. I think that (laughs) the ego gets a bad rap in culture too. People are very sensitive to someone being egotistical or arrogant. And it's a very delicate balance because then you have people who are Uh, overly putting the spotlight on other people and like underserving uh, themselves and like their specific mission in the world. And so I think that, you know, ego isn't a negative thing, but it's just not the whole thing. And that's where it can become dangerous for people is if they're trapped in it, if they're trapped in, uh just specifically what the ego is up to because there's so many other aspects of life there's so many aspects of their own personal life that aren't the ego mm-hmm. and you know when we talk about the ego and astrology the ego is the sun mm-hmm. and the sun is such a beautiful 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 planet and the sun is a planet in astrology by the way but the sun is a beautiful planet it's it's bright it's life-giving it's essence it's uh creativity and solar power it's that young life giving it it makes you know keeps things going it keeps the world turning and i do think that ego is what keeps the world turning you know if if steve jobs had no ego like do we have apple do we have iphones you know are we on zoom right now there's there's so much that happens in such a positive way because people are attached to their ego and do want to put beautiful magical things out into the world. And so I always like to give a pro ego stance, especially within spiritual culture and wellness spaces where it's all about transcending the ego. The ego is what we have in this lifetime. This is how we talk to each other. This is how we communicate. This is where our healing work and growth lies with the ego Uh, And then, you know, if we're, if we're over attached, if we're clinging, that's just part of our journey as well, where we, we learn, we move past that. And then we develop a more healthy relationship to our ego. There's a quote, uh, the ego makes a, a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And that always comes back to me of, you know, like, when is the ego mastering me and when am, when have I, uh, reached a more positive relationship with ego. And I think it's a lifelong journey in practice and also something that everyone benefits from people being honest about ego. I think even you just sharing now your relationship to ego, I think that's helpful for people to hear because everybody deals with it. And even the people who who are very humble and non-egotistical, sometimes have those ego ego struggles as well of, you know, they're not caring for themselves. They're not putting themselves first in any circumstance. So I think that that is a great thing for people to be candid about is that relationship.
0: Cool, all right, love it. Great stuff, Kate. Okay, Um, this is my favorite part of every conversation because uh, we're gonna kind of start getting into uh, your upbringing and your backstory. Finding out uh, you know, just more about Kate and how you got to be who you are today and on um, where you're going with life. So um let's start with uh where you actually uh like physically grew up and talk about your childhood. Um are you an only child? Do you have siblings? Did you play sports? Were you uh, you know, very academically minded and focused? Like paint the picture for your childhood up to about high school for us, Kate, and then we'll go from there.
1: Yeah. I grew up in central Illinois. I was the oldest. I had three younger siblings, uh, all two years apart. So we had a lot of fun growing up, two boys, two girls. And we were pretty close family, all of sports. I was more of a dancer. I also did cross country. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've always liked uh, art and movement and um also just you know good old midwestern football games and and things like that and you know I used to think it was so boring to be from the midwest but since I've left I've actually developed a greater appreciation for it and a lot of those those values have naturally come with me and yeah it was a it was an interesting upbringing it definitely had its challenges Um, my family did go through some trauma. There's like a, a car accident. Um, when I was 12, that altered the course of our family and, you know, it altered the course of my life. And I probably wouldn't have pursued consciousness studies or philosophy or theology, spirituality, if I hadn't had an experience where I was in so su- such need of meaning and such need of God. And I, you know, that's where Like books, like Viktor Frankl's *Man's Search for Meaning* came in. Of you know, it felt like things fell apart in my family. Um, My parents were like gone from us for six months, and there was a lot of like doubt and fear about the future. And my family was nominally religious before, but really at that moment came to some more uh, need for spiritual guidance and health. And that really was the start of like a spiritual journey for me was that traumatic event.
0: Okay.
1: Um, academically
0: speaking, uh, did you like school and academics or what was that kind of like for you, Kate, when you're younger?
1: Yeah, I think when I was younger, younger, I was like the, the straight A like Really loved the academics, really invested. Um, and then, you know, after that event, I took a more lackadaisical approach, uh, but still really curious and interested and kind of poured all of my energy into those specific topics that I was interested in. So I lost a little bit of like my science and math brain and <laughs> I wish I hadn't because it actually would be very useful now. Uh, there's a lot of math and astrology and science. So, but I did go full force into like the specific spiritual topics that interested in me. Okay.
0: Um, so, you're originally from Illinois. So, I'm from Iowa, and that's actually where I'm at right now. Uh, I lived in Colorado, moved back to Iowa, and I'm moving back to Colorado again because I miss Colorado so much. I'm not uh, as, uh, I don't know. I appreciate the Midwest, but I just, I want to get back to Colorado, but um, growing up in the Midwest, there are some, some great things, a lot of small towns, a lot of hardworking, good people, so to speak. Uh, What are some of those values from growing up in the Midwest that you kind of still hold on to, or you appreciate that you were able to grow up and experience uh, like those values in, in others when you were younger, Kate?
1: Yeah. And not to say that these don't exist other places, but I really appreciate the the family values that I grew up with in the Midwest. And it seems like across the board, like people just really enjoyed spending time with family and, you know, the Sunday football culture and the holidays. I felt like holidays were so huge. And that's something I really grew up kind of feeling were the pivotal points of life. And I've always been a big holiday girl and like the 4th of July and everything, everything was like a big, big event, a big thing. Um The grandparents are over, you know, we're eating Sunday chicken, like that all feels very Midwest to me. And, you know, there's also like the, the Protestant work ethic that I walked away with and the Christian values and a lot of that as well, which I've, come to appreciate and notice how it impacts me and in Colorado I found a lot more a lot more freedom in a lot of ways and I feel like there's there's less pressure here on people than there is in the Midwest this could just be my perception but there does seem to be just like a more of a free spirit vibe here that I didn't experience in the Midwest but I definitely am like I'm glad that I came from there and I feel like it was a good foundation for me okay Very cool. Um, now, uh,
0: from the, from speaking to the, the car accident, uh, what, what was kind of like, um, obviously it was a a changing point, uh, you know, in your life in your family's life, but for you specifically, what do you feel like, uh, you had to kind of really work through as you got older from that turning point of that car accident?
1: Yeah, huge, huge question, because it's something that I feel like I'm still working through daily. There's things that come up um, because, you know, being 12 and going through an experience, there's just so much that you're not able to integrate at that time. And, you know, that's my working definition of trauma is anything that you're not able to integrate at that time. And I think when people have those developmental traumas uh, at those pivotal childhood points, there's so much that later you're like, oh, okay, well, this thing that I thought was my personality is a is a trauma response because I wasn't able to integrate that i that event fully, uh, and for me. I think that my whole entire identity kind of shifted at that point, I shifted into more of a caretaking role mm-hmm. as the oldest. Um, and, you know, my mom was the one that was injured and debilitated in the accident. And so I had to step into a lot of responsibility in the household and as a support to my dad. And, you know, I don't know how much was actually put on me versus how much you know as a 12 year old i thought was my responsibility but i did take it as like a very serious responsibility of you know it was my job to kind of keep things going keep everyone positive and um providing a lot of strength and i didn't cry like i kept a lot of my emotions on lock during that time and it really wasn't until like the last three years that I have went back and felt those emotions. And that has been a completely overwhelming experience because I just kind of on freeze mode of, I, you know, I need to be strong. I can't feel any grief for what's been lost or what's happened. And, you know, when you do that, it does shape so much of your life experiences and your interactions. And, you know, it's a, it's a big thing for me to even be able to share this on this podcast. Cause it's not something that most people know. Anyone that didn't grow up with me doesn't know. And it's something that I've had to like step into more as like being candid about those experiences. Hmm.
0: Well, I appreciate you uh, being open to, to share it. Uh, now um, we're going to kind of come back to some of that a little bit later, but um, when you were kind of in high school, Kate, Uh, did you have any thoughts or did you have any expectations for yourself of what you wanted to do or be when you quote unquote grew up? Or was there maybe like you mentioned earlier, there's a, maybe a little bit more pressure on some of us from the Midwest, uh, of expectations of, you know, go to college and, you know, Mm -hmm. take over the family business or whatever, maybe all of that stuff is, um, can you touch on where you were at in high school in terms of what you were expecting for yourself or what was expected of you post high school
1: yeah um i had midwestern dreams of becoming an elementary school teacher <laughs> that was my main goal and dream as a high school student um so that's what i said for years i was going to do i did about one semester of that and realized that that was not not going to work for me um because i had I had misunderstood the, the nature of the job and that it was actually teaching children and not just like putting on fun, creative projects for them. And so I was seeking a little bit more creative expression in what I was doing. And I went to social work for a semester that wasn't also not going to work for me and didn't fit what I felt I wanted to give to the world. And that has been a whole process because, you know, back in in Illinois, like I didn't ever conceptualize anything about astrology or becoming an astrologer. It's really something that took a long time to come to me. And now that I'm here, I do see it as such a great fit for what I wanted to do all along. Like the desires have always been the same. And now they just have this this new expression and vehicle and luckily something that I can do for a living. Mm.
0: So uh now you're you're a PhD student so like what is your uh undergraduate and masters in like did you get all that in astrology or or what what's your actual formal education in uh and then what are you pursuing your PhD in
1: Yeah so I started out I got my bachelor's in English um because my first love was always writing communication um also theory and philosophy and my master's was a continuation of that in a different realm it was in cultural apologetics uh, which is kind of in a different i don't know that many people that have gone that route but essentially using the culture is like the artistic part so using literature to communicate beliefs and, you know, apologetics being like defensive belief. So uh, a lot about rhetoric and how we present things and how we can share spirituality and faith and beliefs through art and culture and what art and culture, you know, how we subconsciously pick up on a lot of belief patterns from media and what we're taking in. And then I found the program that I'm doing now in philosophy, cosmology and consciousness and that truly was a perfect fit for me and that this has been the program that I've most been like okay this is niche down into my interest and because I've always taken philosophy classes been interested in philosophy but I'm not I'm not one to want to debate like kantian ethics I can read it but I'm more interested in spirituality and the mind and the psyche and healing and talking about topics that are pushing the world forward like consciousness studies and you know everything that's come out with with psychedelics and those new frontiers and explorations and you know what do we know about the human mind what do we know about our own minds those have always been the questions that have interested me
0: mm.
1: um now this this
0: artistic side of of you Kate uh is this something that you kind of uh learned uh is it something that you feel like you were born with uh how did you kind of gain, uh, that side of, uh, your being, so to speak.
1: Yeah. I've always been interested in art. I started out writing poetry. Um, I, even when I was a child, I would make big poems for my teachers and like they would hang them on the wall. And I just have always been so motivated toward creative endeavors and specifically poetry because I think that it's such a fun avenue for words like it's where you can really play with words and put them together in fun ways and I've always been drawn to the fun element and you know as I've gotten older like the themes have matured like I think my first poem that I had a teacher put up was about like an elf um, <laughs> and like a silly elf and it was before elf on the shelf so free ends there but yeah then I I didn't cultivate it as much until I came to Colorado actually and I made friends with a lot of musicians at open mics and you know I was sitting at so many open mics board cuz I'm not I don't really play music and there's poets there and I was like you know I I should I should develop that craft and get up there because I always feel like there is, are so many things to say and things I want to say and poetry is just such a great package for, for emotion and message. And I, I fell in love with doing the, the open mic poetry.
0: Okay. That's super cool.
1: Um, now,
0: uh, what did you kind of do, uh, uh, in terms of like, when you were in like undergraduate and graduate, like, did you just go to, were you a student full-time? Did you work? Like, talk to me a little bit about like the social side of, uh, outside of uh, schooling in terms of like during your your college years?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm an extremely social person. I did more socializing than school. I've always done more socializing than school, still do more socializing than school, but you know, I've, I've justified that to myself of there's so much you can learn through socializing and that kind of being an in praxis thing for what you're learning uh, and I have worked a lot of different jobs. I, when I was in my master's program, I worked, uh, on an organic farm mm-hmm. out in Denver uh, in Brighton, actually Berry patch farms mm-hmm. and had a great time being part of the farm crew and also decided to never do that again and <laughs> feel good about that. Um, I'd love to start uh, a smaller type farm endeavor, but the whole life of a farmer is is pretty intense work and um you know the financial side of it too it's something that i hope changes in the in the next few years as that becomes more viable for people to do that and i also have worked in the ice cream industry i I lived in Portland for a year and scooped ice cream at salt and straw, which if you're in the ice cream world, it's, it's kind of a big deal. And so when I moved to Denver, um, I met someone who had found out that I worked at salt and straw and they were like, Oh, we'd love for you to be a consultant for our gelato company. And so I had the title of gelato consultant, which, um, I'm very proud of that as you can tell,
0: (laughs) Okay uh so so how did a, a girl from the midwest illinois find herself in portland denver and uh i think you said you were overseas or something at some point like uh, how did all this you i want to get more into your story like how did you find yourself from illinois to portland and wherever else you've been like tell, tell us a little bit about those uh escapades or
1: that that uh free spirit that you are Kate Oh yeah. Escapade is definitely the right word for it. Um, my first abroad experience was to England, I did a study abroad at Oxford and it was fun. It was like, I didn't have to be that qualified to do like a, like a short Oxford thing. Um, sounds cooler than it is, but that was my first taste of overseas. And I was like, this is the best, like, this is such a a mind opening thing. And then, you know, you kind of get addicted to those mind altering worldview changing experiences. And so I went um, the next summer, I went to Ireland and did I don't know if you've heard of Woofing worldwide opportunities on organic farms. Uh, It's something that I was into in college, but essentially, it's a program where you can travel to a different country or place and you get free room and board in exchange for farm work. And so you can stay on their farm. Uh, They usually feed you some pretty delicious meals. And then, you know, you put in like less than uh, an American farm days work, like maybe four to five hours. And that's what I thought farming was before I came over here and worked on a farm. Um, I was like, oh, why aren't we getting two tea times like we did in Ireland? And where are the cookies, the biscuits? And (laughs) so that was an experience that I feel like really opened my mind up to like the global network of, you know, organic farming. And I went through like a, a vegan period that I'm no longer in and, you know, that was was a definitely like a mind altering experience and then um one of my friends that I had met abroad lived in Portland and so I went out to to see what Portland was about and then uh another friend and I had developed that interest in farming and we're like, we should go farm in Colorado. And when we started telling people that they're like, okay, so you two left the Midwest, like with the best farmland to come to the desert to farm. <laughs> and we were like, yes, <laughs> we absolutely did that. <laughs> we thought the mountains would be fun. Okay. Um. Okay. Now Portland,
0: uh, I, I, uh, was there way a long time ago when I was a kid, there's, uh, 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 cousins out there, I believe of mine, but, um, what, what's, uh, how recently have you been in Portland? Cause I've heard that it's maybe changed a little bit over the last few years, but what was your experience like there in Portland?
1: Yeah, Portland is awesome. I don't know for anyone that's seen Portlandia, and hasn't been to Portland I always tell them it's exactly the same like that show is not much of an exaggeration um and the Portlandians kind of roll their eyes at Portlandia because they're like true like it's true It, it does have that that hipster vibe and I think that I always perceived Portland to be like very trendy very hipstery and like the sense, um, I equated it to like what I perceived from like Midwest hipster vibe. But it is so next level, like, it, and people are just genuinely weird. And I think that that was refreshing for me, honestly, is like, I don't, it wasn't so much that people are trying to, like, fit this, like, very hipster aesthetic or endeavor. It's more so that, like, everyone encourages niches there and everyone is like, oh, what, like, what? Interesting subset of anime are you into, and like your woodworking, um, different images from those anime sequences, and like there's just so many interesting people there with interesting hobbies. And uh, I really loved being there. I thought that you know it's such a unique place in this country,
0: okay. And then, so from Portland, how did you? figure out that you wanted to farm in Colorado of all places?
1: Yeah. um, That was on a whim for sure. My, my childhood best friend, we were best friends from kindergarten. We decided that we were going to move somewhere together and we were, she picked colorado and i picked philly and we debated and then i ended up here and i'm super glad that i did and i feel like it's been it feels all very meant to be um it's fit my work really well i think it's allowed me to to cultivate an astrology career uh, it's a space that's very welcoming to that kind of thing and it's also, um, or on the forefront of the psychedelic movement and decriminalization. And that opens up a lot of opportunity also for having those conversations on consciousness studies. So ended up being a really awesome fit that, you know, maybe it was intuition or just that my friend won the fight between us, but I'm glad that I'm out here. Yeah. Um,
0: now I lived in, uh, Uh, Edgewater, which is uh, Northwest Denver before uh, 2020, or a little bit into 2020. And then I spent a lot of time when I was out there in Colorado Springs, but because of the podcasting, I used to do them all in person. So I was in Denver a lot, Boulder a lot. Now, how does, uh, because Boulder is known as being a very uh, unique uh, community and, and Denver is too, like you said, it's very free spirited. There's a lot of young people, a lot of entrepreneurs now. How does that area compare to like Portland? Is Portland like just above and beyond Denver and Boulder or are there some similarities? If so, what are, what are the similarities?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that this is something that's come up a lot because I've heard that Denver, Portland and Austin are like the sister cities. So there is a lot of similarities between them. I have always called Denver, sunny Portland because everything about this place is sunnier and like, not just in the sense of the the sun shines more. Um, the, the vibe is just a little bit more relaxed. Uh, you know, everything is a little bit more late laid back. And I think, you know, people have like more intensity in Portland that they're things that they're into. It's, there's a lot going on. And then here it's like, you got your dog, you've got the mountains, like everyone's hiking and skiing. And there's a very specific Denver culture, uh, that is not similar to Portland at all. Okay. And, and you got to add to, uh, with the dog, you got to add like, a a
0: can of beer or something like that. got to have some alcohol too, if you're going to be in Denver, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Some voodoo ranger.
0: <laughs> um, okay. Now let's, uh, I want to kind of start getting into like the astrology and kind of like where you're at current day. So um, you're, you're doing the kind of the farming thing. It sounds like you're just kind of traveling around, just living life and and learning uh, when you were younger. When did, when did you kind of start really honing in on the, uh, The astrology stuff like becoming like a coach and like you know I'm assuming that this is now like your profession can Mm -hmm. you kind of start unpacking that story and that side of uh, yourself Kate please
1: yeah so you know I have always loved personality typing systems and that was really that's been my passion since I was pretty young I did my science fair project in in high school on the Myers-Briggs and my friend and I collected data of people's families, you know, types. And that's just been something that I've always found a lot of value in. And I think it's this endeavor to try to understand the self. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are, that was just very early stages of, of what I'm doing now with astrology of understanding the mind, understanding the psyche, uh, ultimately with this goal of empowerment of like, once you know about yourself, then you can be a better self. And in college, it was the Enneagram for me. And I got super into that and took that as far as I felt like I could. And then uh, in my PhD program, they actually have astrology classes at my school, which I was totally blown away by. I was like, oh, I didn't know you could study this at an institution. And that's when I started to see some viable options to, to have a career with it, uh, because some of my professors are also professional readers. And it's like, oh, that sounds amazing. Like just to sit down and talk to people about their psyche and their lives and their dreams and, you know, if they feel like there's anything blocking them and that's that's my dream and, and i i do feel like i really am living my dream and working my dream job and it it feels very lucky i do i do just want to talk to people all day about their minds and and you know offer what i can to empower them inside those minds yeah yeah uh no i i get that and not necessarily the astrology
0: part of it but like that's what podcasting is for me like i've told myself if i could just make uh and I'm I'm like an extreme minimalist, right? So I'm not trying to be like a millionaire. I could Mm -hmm. care less about money, but if I could just make enough money to kind of just do with it, that kind of the things that I want to do and and the self-care and eat the food I want to eat. If I could, if I could make that off of podcasting by literally just listening to people all day and their stories and just like, you know, everything that they've gone through, like I, that this is something that really literally sets my soul on fire. so I kind of get like what you're saying, um, in terms of just listening to people and helping them, um, however you can with your, 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 your tools and coaching. Now, in terms of making this like a profession, like, uh, I don't know if you call it coaching or not, or what it's called kind of in your space, but like, you know, uh, coaching or, uh, whatever you're doing with the astrology stuff, is this like, are you making your living off of this? And like, if so how 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 have you kind of made that to 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 uh become reality so to speak.
1: Yeah, it's definitely been a journey. It is my full-time job and I am making my living off of it. Uh and it's taken it's taken a lot of really kind of emotional work because there's risk involved and you know, you you have a lot of self I have a lot of self-fear and self-doubt and like there's a lot of blockages to to paving your own way as an entrepreneur and I didn't realize you know even before I took this on how personal the journey is in terms of you know your stuff comes up in that space of trying to become an entrepreneur trying to make a living uh any limiting beliefs that i had about my worth those have all been you know under the the spotlight with this journey and, and you know when there isn't a next step or someone like telling you what to do or like an exact paycheck coming to you like every two weeks, like it's scary. And I think that it it has been, it's been a a journey and I've gotten to a place where I feel some level of success with it, Uh, but still a lot of room for growth and, Um, I, I feel really, really grateful that I have taken those steps because it's all worth it, right? Like, you know, you walk out of, of a reading or a session and you know, it, it, your soul's on fire and you're like, okay, is it worth it to feel financially insecure for a couple of years to get to walk out of there? You know, with that feeling of doing your soul's purpose and your dharma, and yes, it is worth it. And so, yeah, to answer your question, it's hard, but it is something that I'm glad that I took on, and I know there will be like continual development with it. And another thing that has come up is I'm not a business person; didn't go to school for business, so that was like a lesson that I learned early on: is you have to. You have to get help from people that do know. And luckily I have some people in my life who did go to business school. So I'm always calling them like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And uh I think that it's an ego thing too, to when you are your own income, when you are your own business, to realize that you don't have every training that you need to be successful because you're a one person team. And so outsourcing too, in terms of like, Hey, do you have ideas? Like can you help me with seeing the next step here? Okay, so can you um
0: share with us Kate kind of like the I want to get into some pra- practicality here. So when did you like in your head and in your heart and your soul say okay, I am going to I'm going to do this coaching thing full time. I'm, I'm 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 going for it? Like can you do you know exactly when that kind of came into your uh, uh, consciousness, so to speak. And then what were the steps that you kind of took? And I know you're a work in progress, like all of us, but what were like the practical steps that you took to kind of start putting yourself out there as a entrepreneur, as a businesswoman, and saying, Hey, like I am available to do these things that are serve you to help you in, in these, in these ways, whatever your giftings or whatever you're, whatever you're trying to help people with in terms of empowering them. Can you Can you kind of like practically walk us through that journey a little bit?
1: Yeah, Uh, it's tricky because I don't think I ever said that to myself. Um, The whole thing has felt like a very subconscious um, step-by-step thing where, you know, I woke up one day and I was like, oh, I guess this is what I'm doing now full time. And it's been something that has just kind of created itself. I think that... You know, I lost my uh, my more like part time jobs during the pandemic and there was just no going back after that in terms of, okay, well, what am I going to do from here and why not do this? And uh, I remember kind of creating my website from like this and not being like a big step of like, okay, I have a website now where people can go in and, and book me. And that being this um putting myself out there in such a way that like, I really didn't feel comfortable doing at that time. But I think with things that are your Dharma, which are your path and purpose. And when you do get that like soul electricity for something, I feel like you can't help yourself, but do that stuff. Even if you're not ready, even if you're like, I don't know how this will work. It's like this, this weird like subconscious pull that you're just kind of like, okay, there's my website. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And then people start booking you and then you're still not ready. And then more people book you and then you have to become ready to keep up with, you know, the, the demand that you're creating for yourself. And Uh, it's been, it's been a cool process. And it, you know, I like to be coming from that place where I can be honest about, like, I was never ready for that. I never fully decided that that's what I wanted. And it was something that I feel like I'm co-collaborating with other people and creating my brand and my offering, because, you know, I am looking to them of, of what do people need right now? And am I, is this of service? And I hope in the future too, to keep creating offerings and seeing, you know, is this something that lands? Is this something people want? Is this something people need? And letting, letting the world inform what I'm doing in that way. Um, have you
0: ever, uh, or do you currently have like a, a business coach or somebody that uh, kind of guides you in terms of the, the business side of things, or has that kind of all been self-taught or self-learned as well? I know you said you have family members that went to business school, but, uh, in terms of like you learning, uh, you know, how to kind of like maybe navigate the website stuff, the booking stuff, the coaching stuff, the social media stuff. Have you had help? Do you have a coach? Did you have a coach? Like, what what does that look like, Kate?
1: Yeah, I, I self-taught like my first two and a half, three years of business. And then I think that I I kind of hit a point where, you know, I didn't know where to go from there in terms of, okay, I feel like I, I'm seeing a good amount of people. I feel like things are, I feel like things are good, but there seems like there could be more growth here. and. That's when um luckily a, a wonderful marketing coach, her name is Caitlin Ann-Marie, she came into my life and I had a couple of sessions with her. And she is like a marketing therapist. And I felt like that was really what I needed of, you know, why aren't you putting yourself out there? And I I don't love social media. I love content and I love the I love the fun of social media, but when it comes to to putting myself out there on social media, I still had a lot of reservations and she kind of just worked with me on, you know, showing up as a person in the world, telling people what you have to offer them, um, in a very egoless way, because the ego is something that I do feel like gets in the way of that, of, you know, the, the second guessing yourself and the doubts and the fears and the the wanting to cater to every single person that was big for me of like, well, I don't want to put this out there because this isn't for everybody. And she really encouraged me to think about who it is for, you know, cause, and that was something that I really took away from my yoga teacher training as well as like, you know, there's a lot of yoga teachers, but there are people in the world who need your specific medicine. Mm-hmm. And that was a, me- that was a message that has, has stuck with me throughout the years of like, you know, what you're doing does not have to be for everyone, but there is someone out there who would just really love to learn from you and experience what you have to offer. There are those soul aligned people who, you know, you could even say, maybe we're meant to find you in some sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. Very cool. yeah.
1: Yeah. okay. Now
0: um, I want to take a step back here and, and, and you kind of have talked about the, the personal work that you've had to go through on this journey of uh, becoming a coach and there's the limiting beliefs and there's just a lot. Uh, I own a business. Uh, I bought it, but uh, uh, you know, the only, I'm the sole owner of a business and it's the last three years have just been crazy because uh, you know, I didn't go to business school and um, there's just so much to learn when it's all on you. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, you got to show up and you got to get this done because nobody else is going to do it. And you have to, then you have to learn, uh, you know, like for me, like the bookkeeping, okay, I got to have somebody help me with that. I I don't want to do all that, but um, it, it is a huge growth opportunity when you are an entrepreneur or you own your own business for sure. Now I, I really want to kind of dig into what you've had to work through in terms of, uh, you know, your own personal limiting beliefs Uh, From the time that you had that accident all the way up, like what are some of the things that you've really had to work on yourself in regards so that you can be the best version of yourself or show up the best version of yourself for uh, the clients that you're, you're working with? Can we kind of start digging into the, some of that Kate, please?
1: Yes, yeah, definitely. There's there's so much there and again, like I never thought that business working on business stuff would be therapeutic in any way whatsoever, but the amount of books that I've had to read and like, you know, help that I've had to to seek out on the internet even of just, you know, how do you how do you overcome limiting beliefs to show up? And some of my li- limiting beliefs have been around money. And I think wanting to be like a selfless person of service, wanting to offer my like offerings for free. And then, you know, going through that process of, you know, it can't be free because if you want to have the time and space and, um, the, the power to, to do this as like a sustainable thing, it's like, you can't be working as a bartender anymore. And that has been, you know, a tough lesson for me of, of, you know, how do you make dreams sustainable in a way that's accessible because accessibility is very important to me. And, I have really struggled with never wanting to price anyone out of my services because I believe really strongly in the value of what I'm doing and like wanting it to be for everyone. And I think that there's been a lot around money there and pricing. And then also uh, in astrology, actually money is in the same house as confidence and self-worth. And at first I didn't understand why those topics were all connected in astrology and now i more than understand of you know the the energetic exchange of money and what you offer someone what you receive from them and how it's it's a spiritual thing as well as just a a strict capital exchange there's so much that goes into to making money to giving money the gift of money and the way that it you know we We create value with price points and we create value with the, you know, our, our, our willingness to pay someone's, you know, fee to support their lifestyle. And I think that that's taken a lot of work for me of, you know, how do I live in this practical, practical, tangible world of money when I don't want to, I want to live in this imaginary world where we can just barter everything and I can, you know, have endless resources to, to give people everything I want to give them and, um, coming back to that reality, making peace with that reality. And then also appreciating the way that money can empower people to, to do what they want to do, to give what they want to give. And, uh, also, you know, to, to just come to terms with, uh, my own worth and i think that it's something that i've noticed if like if i'm not doing well financially my self esteem plummets and it's not fun to admit and like that's definitely that that candid element of uh just that that awareness around that i've developed around like how i consider myself in terms of how much money i have how well my business is doing And then, you know, never wanting to fall into the trap of doing something for the money. And it's harder when you are in a more financially secure spot not to let money run those decisions. And so I think it is very deep spiritual work um, that I never wanted to do, but I'm really glad that I'm doing it. And I think that um, seeing, seeing money as something that's empowering instead of, I don't know, like that Christian puritanical, like money is the devil and, um, really using money as like a force of good in the world. Mm. That's all the things that I am currently still working through. Mm. uh, you mentioned shame
0: earlier. I've been, uh, 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 reading some Brene Brown, uh, books and she's like, uh, a shame researcher. I'm sure you've probably maybe read some of her stuff or you're familiar with her. But um what like uh talk to me about shame? Is that something uh that that you have to kind of work through yourself? Is that something you're still working on? What is shame? Is that something that you have to work with your clients on? Like, um, we all have shame. It's it's you know, it's it's not like it's just uh one or two people that deal with it, it's all of us, but What does that look like in your personal life? And what does that look like, uh, you know, working with clients and how do you kind of break through it or um, help others uh, work through some of that shame?
1: Yes. Shame is a predominant emotion for me, I would say. Um, I also read Brene Brown's book. uh, I forget the name of it. Gifts of Imperfection. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And that was very inspiring to me. And I think, the the more experience I've had, the more I am able to distance myself from the shame. I think when I was younger, it just feels so integrated into you and so a part of you of like, you know, like everything is like my fault or a reflection of me. Um, And that's trauma related too. where you just kind of take that stuff on. And I think that you know, as I've like worked with that shame, it definitely still comes up, but I can notice it a little more quickly now of, okay, that's a shame response. And I, with clients specifically, there's a couple of things in astrology that kind of can point to shame in our chart. One is Chiron. Chiron is an asteroid and it it's fun to talk about it in astrology readings, but it is like a difficult emotional territory because the Chiron placement points to a core wound. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Chiron is the wounded healer. So not only is it a wound, but it's an opportunity. It's our opportunity for growth and healing and also how we can help other people heal. And I think even having that perspective is so empowering of Wherever you feel the most shame, I think that that is insight into what your dharma is, into what your work is, into what your gift is to other people. Whatever's causing you to feel that shame is, is a motivator. It's a trigger. It's something that, you know, and maybe you you deal with it your whole life in some sense, but there's always continual growth and there's always continual gift in that shame. Uh, and I think that one thing that I try to encourage in astrology readings is when you see that on a page, when you see that in a specific house, in a specific sign, um, and I can kind of speak to what that might look like for you, there's a distancing that happens there of what shame wants you to believe is that you caused it, that it's your fault. And I think when people see, something in the stars when they see something like outside of themselves they see it more as this is a lesson that i need to walk through and it's not my fault okay um i i need personally like a uh uh a
0: a 101 on what what is astrology uh you're an astrologer like what, what what does all that mean like and, and as a like astrology coach, I guess, if that's kind of what uh, the terminology is, like, what are you doing for your clients uh, in terms of the astrology? So as simply as possible, like a one on one explanation of astrology. And then as you work with clients, what is that practice of astrology and trying to empower those clients or help those clients? What does that practically look like, Kate?
1: yeah so i view astrology as an archetypal system archetypes being ideas images and stories that we've had around since the beginning of time that are kind of in this this fabric of the universe Mm -hmm. and there's there's different archetypes uh for example the, the different mythologies that have popped up in cultures. And, you know, why is there a seagoat and like all these different cultures, stories and mythologies, and that's an archetype. That's something that has captivated the human mind in some way, come to consciousness and meant something to people. And astrology is an amazing system and history and tradition of archetypal stories and myths and and things that have grabbed our consciousness uh the word planet actually is graha which is grabber and there there's this sense that like the planets grab our attention and these archetypes grab our attention and with the, the consciousness work too is like if you're being grabbed and your attention is being kind of pulled towards something against your will, that's when you know you just kind of feel stuck in life. You know, you're you're being grabbed by the archetypes, you're being overtaken by the archetypes, possessed even by the archetypes. And astrology is a system of noticing archetypes, noticing what's grabbing your attention, noticing what maybe has like overcome your consciousness in some way and when you have that awareness coming up with creative solutions of okay so for example you have a saturn mars transit saturn is the planet of delays and limitations mars is the planet of drive and ambition and that's something that the collective is going through this week specifically is saturn opposite mars and so one thing an astrologer might say is this is the gas and the brakes on at the same time. There might be that feeling in the collective of there's all these things I want to push forward, but I'm, I'm getting nose, I'm getting limitations. I'm feeling like my stuff isn't like finding that momentum that it needs to move forward. That's Saturn Mars. And what astrology can do is with an awareness of Saturn Mars astrologers will be like wait two weeks just wait two weeks don't perseverate on what's not happening for you right now wait a couple weeks and then see how you feel in two weeks and then see if you have that momentum to accomplish that thing that you want to accomplish Mm -hmm. Uh, and that can alleviate a lot of frustration because Mars is a a really frustrating planet and Saturn can be frustrating as well and you can sit in that frustration and that resentment and even self-hatred of I, why can't I get this done? Or, you know, when you have that awareness of, of natural cycles and timing, you can just put it to the side for when the momentum and the energy is there for it. And so I try to, to offer those things to people, uh, as just a forging a deeper connection to the cosmos. Forging a deeper connection to time, even of things take time, and I think that when you're in a heavy transit, when you're in a heavy time of life, one of the the hardest things is feeling like you might not know when it will end, mm-hmm. and thinking, you know, maybe this is forever. And I think that's one very powerful use of astrology is just that reminder: is it's not forever; it's till you know March of 2026. And you know that it's hard to hear, but it's also empowering in a sense of if you are going to be in this time and in this archetype for a while, what are you going to do while you're here? Like, are you going to resent it or are you going to learn from it and grow with it? Okay. Um. Now uh, you mentioned when you were
0: growing up in Illinois, it sounds like there was some sort of like uh, um, uh traditional uh, religious, like uh, influence, like Christianity or something like that. Did I hear you correctly on that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. Now how does, how does, or doesn't um, like traditional uh, religion um, you know, the, the Christianity and, and um, Islam and and Buddhism and all that type of stuff, right? How, How does that more traditional religion tie into astrology or how does it not tie into astrology? And for you personally, from your 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 personal experiences with christianity growing up is that still something that you uh incorporate or hold on to or is that something that you've shelved or put to the side as you pursue this uh astrology
1: yeah big question <laughs> i i think that it has been a, a huge process of understanding those systems understanding you know, belief in spirituality in general and astrology being not a religion. And that's something that I try to reiterate to people of this is just an additional tool in your, in your mental toolkit. It's not a religion. It's not a spirituality. Uh, it's a tool of use. And I think it's compatible with other religions Um I don't think that, you know, you need to choose between Christianity, astrology or any religion. Um, and I think that for me in relationship to, to religion, to Christianity, I have such a deep respect and reverence for that system and for other religious systems as well. And the specific ways that tradition and time has preserved values and uh, the the way that it has shaped culture um, for better and for worse. I think it's all very, very interesting and worth continuing to bring into conversation. And that's that's something that I do feel passionate about as, you know, people turn to more secular lifestyles, people, are leaving the church and in America specifically and, um, young people specifically that there's not a, a throwing of the baby out with the bath water that we're still, um, you know, processing and deconstructing and, and feeling the pain and grief that those systems cause. But at the same time, maybe there's room for appreciation maybe there's room for for a, a deeper analysis of prayer and a deeper analysis of um Christ consciousness and and some of those things that obviously change people's lives and really motivate people towards goodness and beauty and truth and i i do think that um, one thing that I tell people because people will be like well do you use this theory in astrology or this theory in astrology and I I tell them I use this theory but if the other theory works for you then that's what's true like that and I, not that there's not um Universal truths but there there's something culminating about about certain things that lead us into to hire things. And, and that's something that I think when we have an allowance and again, that candidness and that openness and that space for people to have a multiplicity of beliefs, um, that we can really build each other's up in a specific way, and then also create new systems of belief. And that's one thing that I'm looking forward to about the future of, you know, how, how do we continue to have conversation About ritual and where can we continue to create rituals? And you know, the human mind desires rituals. And you know, if you're not going to to church on Sunday, you know, you need to be watching a football game, there needs to be things that we, we put our shared attention on and we put our shared um, heart and motivation into even like team sports, like the ritual of that. And, you know, even your morning ritual, I, I think that ritual is very important. And also having that respect and reverence for time honored traditions and, and taking the good from those. Hmm. So what, what's like your,
0: uh, like, do you go to church or what's your spiritual practice like currently, Kate?
1: Yeah, I don't currently go to church. I I have been to church in Denver. There's um, a really beautiful cathedral, St. John's Episcopal Church that I do visit sometimes. They do like a Sunday night service with like the smoke and the incense that that I've always loved. Um, but currently, I find uh, a lot of spiritual meaning very much in the work that I'm doing. I feel like the the astrology is a spiritual practice and honestly, what motivates me spiritually is sitting with people in their pain. And I think any conversation that I'm having or space where I'm grieving with someone or even with like plant medicine and like alternate spaces of, of coming together with people in this communion and like really seeing other people, really hearing other people. And then on the, on the other side of that, having that cosmic connection, having that divine awareness, having that sense of of reverence for for something bigger than us and outside of ourselves, like that being like a crucial component as well. And I feel like that's what astrology is, it kind of creates a space for too, of there's a bigger picture, there's higher purpose, and there is things that we connect to, to, to feel that sense of of union with the cosmos and that, that feeling as though that we are all part of something and, and doing something together.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So you've, you've mentioned, uh, kind of like the, the psychedelics
0: and the the plant medicine several times I've had, I think they're all probably from, uh, uh, Colorado. Uh, but here recently I've had quite a few people on in the coaching health wellness space, uh, you know, uh, talk about psychedelics and plant medicine. We've had conversations about it. So for you, uh, what does that kind of look like personally? And what are your thoughts on it? Uh, again, kind of like collectively as, as we're kind of like, uh, progressing in that direction, especially in Denver and some other places in our, uh, culture and country.
1: Yeah, it's it's a huge conversation that's happening. I'm really excited to see what transpires with it. I definitely have some reservations about it. Um, you know, as we kind of catapult into this this next step and what that will bring with it. I think that the unconscious is a very serious thing and it's not something to to take lightly. Um, and cuz there's so much in there and it's very powerful and You know, some people are ready to take that deep dive on unconscious content and material. And, you know, some people aren't. And I think that that's something that people will need to consider before engaging in those activities and those journeys, because it does uh, unleash certain beast in some way. And I think we're about to unleash some beast culturally and collectively, and that kind of aligns with some of the astrology that's happening as well of like we're on the precipice of of a lot of big changes and, you know, not to delve too far into the AI revolution. But I think that we're on the precipice of that as well and dealing with a lot of themes of What's reality? And you know, people there might be some confusion. And we've had such a a tight grasp for so long of like this is how culture goes, this is what we do, like get your job, do your nine to five. And um, I think that that's the old guard, and it's being ushered out a little bit. And I think we're in the very beginning stages of that, but I I do think that it is a, a revolution. Some people are calling it a renaissance. Uh, and it's something to, to be properly cautious about, but it is, I think it is coming for us mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see what direction it goes. Is, is, uh, so,
0: uh, is plant medicine and all that, is that something that, that, uh, you integrate in your life or or not at this point?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that those have been some of the most formative experiences for me, the most therapeutic experiences for me. And as someone who studies the unconscious and has such a, a great regard for for that world and wanting to to integrate it, it's it's like a powerhouse of that. It's a it's a direct contact and and you know, it does allow you to get through some barriers that maybe otherwise you you couldn't have got through. And mm-hmm. it, it does, it's not a magic bullet. And like that's something that I, I feel like as it grows in popularity, like does need to be reiterated is it's not going to solve everything. And I think that I've developed a passion around integration work because, you know, you can have experiences, but if they remain unintegrated in your life, um, you lose out on some of the potency of the experience. And I think the same thing with trauma is it's a very powerful, potent experience that, has not yet been integrated and healing work is integration work. And I think with, with, uh, altered states of consciousness as well, like there is that integration that needs to happen. And so we can move towards having like more whole minds, whole psyches. And, uh, I am going to be offering, uh, astrology integration sessions. That's an area of research for me, uh, kind of researching the way that using the archetypal, archetypal system of astrology can, uh, aid in the process of understanding what's going on in your mind and psyche and integrating that into your daily life
0: hmm. Well, so what are what are like uh I know like ayahuasca is is a is something that is uh maybe po- popular right now but what what what's some of the the plant medicine or psychedelics uh that uh you've utilized uh if you want to talk about it I understand if you don't but or, or maybe what do you feel like might be the best route for uh, individuals that want to go down that route at this point?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's different and everyone's journey is different and what they need is different. And it is a little bit of a soul searching process to find that right thing at the right time. And uh, I was at the the MAPS conference in Denver. Uh, maybe you heard about it as, you know, 12 like uh, 1200 people or 12000 people and um just a huge gathering of people and you know different stories different experiences and just like a a vast use of different substances like mdma and um even dmt and so that was a good learning experience for me. I think I'm partial to, uh, psilocybin just because I, I think mushrooms are so interesting and cool and can really nerd out on like, you know, mycelium and, and all of that. And there's something special to me about the thought of the earth producing this gift and this intelligence, um, But definite respect for for all of the the different medicines and Mm. um excitement about that. But to me, yeah, I I like the 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 mushrooms and that's what I've utilized most often is the mushrooms.
0: Okay. Uh is that uh the conference that Aaron Rodgers was at? Yes. (laughs) Okay. They were I uh uh I I don't know. I heard something uh it's probably on sports talk radio because they kind of give him a hard time, which uh I'm not gonna get into my personal perspective on all this, but uh, you know, like the the national sports media gives Aaron Rodgers kind of like a hard time because he he does things differently. Like he went in for like however many days into like a dark cave, you know, to figure out if he wanted to keep playing football. Which I respect people who you know take alt- alternative routes that aren't just doing what has always been done, right? Uh, but the national sports media, you know, they they make fun of him quite a bit. I think mm-hmm. maybe that's where I heard of it, but. I saw some other people that I'm connected with that I've had on other podcasts, uh, out there in the Denver area at the conference, like on their Instagram stories. So, um, let, we're going to start wrapping up here, Kate. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about your future or the vision that you have in terms of, uh, your, your business. Like, what does it look like for you in terms of goal setting, having a vision for your future business? Like, what does that look like? Or are you kind of the individual that likes to just be in the moment, in the present and just allow things to unfold as they are meant to unfold? What does that look like for you in terms of planning for that future?
1: Yeah, um, I'm not the latter. I'm definitely always, always in the future, always planning, always coming up with ideas. And, you know, that is the question that's so relevant to right now, because I've been kind of meditating and praying and just really in that process of thinking about what's next and you know there's a lot of unknowns i think that there for me widespread impact has an appeal of being able to, to take certain messages and and to reach more people and i think to me one thing that i hope to offer is is a good intro into astrology for people who would maybe be more hesitant about it i do come from a more academic perspective uh, I'm not a smoke and mirrors person. and i I want to be in that space of I'm not trying to impress people with what I can tell them about their life. I'm more so a space where people can safely come and be candid with me and process their lives and, you know, look to to the sky for some direction and look to themselves for for direction yeah
0: so so like with the the goals and stuff like that, do you have like a vision board? Do you write them out? Is it in your head? Like how do you kind of set up? goals or a vision for your, your business?
1: Yeah. I think of my process as like a percolation. Like I'll let things percolate until I feel that soul spark. And like, once I feel that soul spark, I'm like all in, like, I'm not visioning boarding. Like I'm not imagining, like, it's like it percolates until it feels that sufficient momentum. And then I'm just all in on it.
0: Okay,
1: cool. Uh, what, what does
0: Kate like to do? What do you like to do, uh, for fun? Are you like, a you know, I don't know, uh, do you have a dog? Do you like to walk your dog? Do you like to go on hikes? Do you, uh, like to go to concerts? Um, uh, what's, what's your, um, enjoyment or fun outside of your profession and your, your work?
1: Yeah. I think that I am always doing my work just uh, mentally. Like, and that is fun for me. So I, I actually have been like, I need some more hobbies because all I do is astrology. You, and you have a dog Kate or not?
0: yes yes okay
1: there we go all right you're
0: you're officially a colorado girl then
1: <laughs> yeah yeah her name is green bean and okay, she's a cool. from <laughs> all right all
0: right
1: yeah so, so hobbies you're kind of you need some more or what i mean the gym the gym is a serious hobby um you know that with with your work in there um yeah, the gym and, you know, I've picked up walking more. I really, you know, I live, have lived in the Capitol uptown area of Denver and like the parks, like I am in love with Cheeseman Park and City Park and just spending time with people there. And, you know, I would say probably one of my favorite hobbies is like getting a cocktail. So that's, that's where you can find me either walking the dog through the park or, you know, somewhere downtown.
0: Okay. Uh, now we didn't, you did say you go to the gym, uh, kind of like pretty quick in the morning. What, what is, uh, and you mentioned yoga. So what is your gym time current day kind of, uh, consist of, are you, um, doing just yoga? Are you lifting weights? Are you, uh, you know, on a bicycle or something, what, what are you doing for, uh, your movement inside the gym?
1: Yeah, I love lifting weights. I love weight training. Um, it's something that I just get such a sense of satisfaction from and the slow growth process. Um, My favorite planet is actually Saturn and Saturn is that disciplinarian and he's the one that makes you work really hard for something, but great is your reward. And uh, I feel like the gym is just a very Saturnian experience of, you know, getting that extra rep and, you know, not seeing the results the next day, but like, putting in the work until, you know, you look back and you're like, wow, like that I really worked through a lot of stuff in the gym and it's almost a spiritual experience as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, What uh, do you have a favorite spot in terms
0: of a restaurant or bar or what's kind of your go-to there in, in Denver? Cause obviously there's a lot of options.
1: Yeah. So, so many options. Or maybe give
0: me your top three, if, if it's hard to just pick one.
1: Whoa, top three. So <laughs> sentimentally, I really like Steuben's. I don't know if you've been to Steuben's, but it's just this cute little diner. And um, one thing that everyone should know about Steuben's is they do have egg cream sodas. Um, I don't know if you've had an egg cream before, but I, I don't want to tell you what it is because it it does not sound appealing, but it's often you, you can ask him for an egg cream soda. It's an East coast thing. Yeah. Um, so I do love Steuben's, um, trying to think I, I love a good karaoke bar. I love doing karaoke. Uh, I used to love barracudas in Denver, but sadly it closed down during the pandemic. So I'm open to new karaoke bars, but that's a favorite pastime of mine. Um, and then third one, I uh, true true is a fun. That's a fun place in my mind. They've got the the different kinds of sour beers and ales, and it's kind of got that like hardcore punk vibe. And they have um, hot chicken there now, and I swear it is like the best chicken sandwich I've ever had. And that the the level of good does depend on how many beers you've had before, but. It is an amazing chicken sandwich. I would give it a 10 out of 10 every time. Okay.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there, Kate. Um, so the last question I'm gonna ask you uh the tagline for Curious and Candid is conversations with those in pursuit of more. So I would like to know, and I would like to ask you, what are you currently pursuing or in pursuit of?
1: Ooh. I am in pursuit of impact Mm. and that goes along with some of those limiting beliefs around being seen. And that's something that, you know, I think is, is worth working through of letting your, your voice be heard by other people. I think it takes a lot of bravery, uh, I really admire celebrities because you know people that are in the public light because that takes a lot of vulnerability and I think that that's something that I've been more reserved around in my life and um, really in pursuit of pushing myself, pushing my comfort zone to to put myself out there.
0: Hmm.
1: Excellent. That that is awesome. I think uh, uh,
0: kind of maybe growing up in the Midwest like you and I have, I, I think that's maybe a little bit more of a Midwest thing in terms of like, we don't show our emotions. You just kind of put your head down and grind through, do the yes. nine to five, do what you need to do. You know, there's no crying in baseball. Like I right. feel like, cause I've lived in different Detroit and Denver and, you know, different places around the country. And I feel like, uh, of course there's people like that everywhere, everywhere. But I think that's a little bit stronger in the Midwest culture of no crying in baseball, no emotions, do your job, do your work, don't complain, go home and then do whatever you want. Right. Am I, am I fair in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so good on you. I, I think that's uh, great that you're stepping into that Kate. Um, we're going to wrap it up right there. Uh, Kate, before I do a quick outro and I let you go, I do want to give you an opportunity to share anything in closing Maybe there's something that uh, we didn't touch on that you want to kind of leave all of us with. Um, If people want to connect with you on social media, if people want to maybe step into uh, some of your coaching, uh, give us your Instagram, give us your uh, social media, give us your uh, website, shout outs, anything you want to leave with us. uh, I'm going to turn it over to you and
1: uh, then I'll do a quick outro and that'll that'll be a wrap. So platform is yours, Kate. Absolutely. Well, I just want to say thank you so much again for having me. It it really is an honor and, you know, a gift to get to talk about yourself for for over an hour. Like what a wonderful gift to give people. And I really appreciate your time this morning and your questions and inquiry. And, you know, if if anyone wants to talk about themselves, that is what I do for a living. So I'd love to invite them to, to book a reading and you too can talk about yourself uh, my business is Kronos Astrology, Kronos of Saturn. Uh, and so you can find me on uh, Instagram. That's a premiere uh, at Kronos Astrology, uh, Twitter, TikTok, all of it. Uh, but I, I definitely just open the door for conversations. You don't have to book a reading. I'd love to to meet people and hear, hear where they're at and what they're doing and how I might be able to support them on their path.
0: Perfect. Okay, Kate, uh, I'm going to do a quick outro, then I'll let you go. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Okay? Yeah, thanks again. You're very welcome. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you. And uh, I would love to connect with you. If you guys want to connect with me, a couple of places that you can uh, connect, Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. And then email Curious and Podcast at gmail.com. Before I let you guys go, uh, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes. Leave us a five star rating and review. That will be greatly appreciated. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can visit my website, which is awaken trainingandnutrition.com. Again, I appreciate all of you, and we'll catch all of you next time on another episode of Curious and Candid.